Welcome to LilyPod episode 104, Divorce, Death, and Remarriage with Sunshine Harston. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another inspirational episode on LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are advanced certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed towards single adults and later married couples blending families. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Welcome to our LilyPod and LilyTube audiences uh, for another episode of LilyPod and LilyTube. And today we have a special guest, uh, and Kathy will introduce her. Welcome, Sunshine Harston. She is a speaker, teacher, and holistic practitioner. She has a deep passion for understanding the mind, body, and spirit connection, the power of human consciousness, and ancient methodologies of healing. Her work is focused on helping people heal from deep-rooted trauma, wounds, and bereavement work, supporting individuals who have experienced loss in their lives. She delights in serving others and providing tools so they can heal themselves on the deepest levels, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, while also getting to the root of the problem. Sunshine currently lives in Spanish Fork, Utah. She's married to her beloved husband, Steve, and together they have seven children. All right. Thank you so much. Welcome, uh, Sunshine. We appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to have this conversation with you. So why don't you dive in and tell us a little bit about your practice, what you, what you do, and how you help people. So I am a holistic practitioner. I specialize in helping people heal from deep-rooted trauma. I work with a lot of people who suffer from mental illness, depression, anxiety, um, wounds and trauma experienced in childhood or adolescence. And then I do a lot of work with people who have experienced great loss in their life. And so I help them heal and give them the tools to work through that as well. And as we know, understand you have a lot, have experienced a lot of loss in your life and that's probably why you're so passionate about it. Is that right? Yes. After going through a lot of the loss that I've experienced in my life, it was really interesting that, um, people started coming to me looking for support and looking for help. And it became an opportunity for me to kind of live out that scripture, you know, like mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need and comfort. And I think it's one thing to have a textbook answer of what happens when you lose somebody, but then to have that experience and to be able to relate on that deeper level has been so satisfying for me. Yeah. And we actually feel the same way in who we minister to and who we support and work with as uh, advanced life coaches ourselves. We uh, love working with those who have been through divorce, those who have loved and lost, and those who are recreating their lives and, um, and being able to do so in a healthy way. That's, it's so uh, satisfying to see the changes over time. 
And I think it's powerful because I think so many times, like when you're in the middle of a situation, it's really easy to feel alone or to feel hopeless or knowing how to have the ability to go forward. But when you have somebody that can relate to you, I think it helps you like cling on to them and it gives you that direction to be able to move forward. And I think it helps you not, it doesn't feel as big, I think sometimes. Yeah. Let, let me ask you for the benefit of our audience, what a holistic practitioner is and what they do. Um, so originally my background was in psychology and originally I had the passion of going into family and marriage therapy and counseling. However, while my, um, now late husband was really sick, I was guided into a direction of holistic healing. And I felt really impressed to, um, start, um, being educated on holistic health as far as using medicinal herbs and plants and um, yeah, all the different things going and looking into neuroscience and understanding the patterns and beliefs of the brain and looking at um, so many things like ancient, like Chinese medicine and different ways to heal the body. And as I was becoming certified and learning and gaining all this education, um, it was as my husband was terminal that the Lord told me, I'm wanting you to take what you are learning and I'm wanting you to help people. And I just thought like, okay, these are things I'm going to put in my toolbox, but it wasn't until my husband passed away and my kids were only three, four and five at the time when my husband passed away. And so going and working in corporate America or working in a practice just wasn't going to be relevant to try to then pay for babysitting. And the Lord said, I'm wanting you to open up your own practice. Now you've got the training, you've got the education, you've got the tools. I'm wanting you to help people heal. And so I kind of took it off and I've been doing that for the last seven and a half years. And holistic, as I understand it is mind, body, spirit, like everything that affects our health and how they're all connected and how we can kind of get at our health from all angles. Is that Exactly. So what's really amazing is when you have an emotional problem or something that you're dealing with emotionally, like loss or deep wounds or abuse, it's also going to show up in your spirit. Um, it's going to show up in your mind with like your beliefs and your thought patterns, but you're also going to have physical manifestations in your body. So for an example, I had a client that came to me and was complaining about when I was doing like her intake of, you know, tell me about what you're experiencing and what's going on in her, in your life. She originally came to me for an emotional issue that she was wanting to start having help in. But as I was doing her intake information, she was saying, I have a lot of problems with my, with my chest. I have asthma. I get bronchitis a lot. Um, I have a hard time breathing. And so the very next question that I asked her, I said, will you tell me about the deep grief or deep loss that you've experienced in your life. And she goes, what are you talking about? Well, in Chinese medicine, um, any problem that you have with your chest, whether it's like with heart or lungs, breathing, anything respiratory grief or deep pain is stuck there in the body. I actually and- heard that from a naturopath two days ago. Exactly. And so like for an example, like somebody who struggles with um, anger, like a lot of excessive anger, whether it is inherited or genetic, it's manifested in the liver. Yeah. And so again, from from that same naturopath. Yeah. So you can look at hormone imbalance and anxieties in the gut, right? Exactly. So you can look at a whole slew of physical symptoms and you can see where emotional, um, 
invitations are to work through trauma. And so I like going in and I, I'm really good at getting to the root of the problem. There's nothing, I've got nothing against traditional therapy and other forms of, of tools. But, um, one of the things that I've been able to learn is by incorporating all three of them, you're able to look at things from a multifaceted approach. And it's so much easier for me to get to the root of the problem. When you get to the root of the problem, there's no need to self-suit through like addictions and other behavior because you're getting to the root. You're able to find that solace and that peace and alleviate what it is that the body's been using to try to make itself feel better. I'm wondering what modalities you use. You mentioned Chinese, ancient Chinese medicine, and I've been doing Jinchen Jitsu for a while. Have you okay. heard that? Yeah. Yeah. I do a whole series of things like hypnotherapy and energy medicine and frequency therapy, um, neuroscience techniques. I mean, there's so many different things that I use. And when I'm with a client, um, the Lord really will kind of direct me and tell me, within each session, which direction I need to go in and, and move through. There's times where it's like an art, isn't it? It is. It is. There's times where I'll be working on belief systems or I'll be working on, you know, um, sexual abuse or really deep trauma experience as a kid. And a person will end up losing, like I had one client that lost over a hundred pounds and we weren't working on releasing weight, but that was kind of a byproduct because as we were healing, her body naturally started to begin to feel safe that the weight just came off of her, you know, and, and her body started regulating. And so we started providing tools as that was happening, you know, different deficiencies were coming up. So then we started implementing things. You know, but that wasn't the purpose of why we were going into, you know, that relationship of working right. together. So yeah. it was just interesting. That's awesome. So um, just a little bit of your background in terms of like your adult life. Um, you said that you got married for about a year and that ended in divorce. Did you have any children with that? No, I was really young. I got married when I was 20. Um, I had been going to college and I married a guy that I had known through high school. He, instead of serving a traditional mission, he felt called to go serve his country. So he was in the Marine Corps and he was the first one called over after 9-11 and he was in special forces and was over there and we got married and it only lasted about a year before we got divorced. Yeah. And what was your experience with divorce? Like, how did that, how did you handle it? Like, how did you feel about it? Like, so I was 21 at the time and I felt like I had failed. I felt like I had done something wrong, especially, you know, within the realms of Christianity, you know, we're taught, you know, marriage is forever. It's binding. Like you, you make it way through, you know, you do whatever you can to make it Yeah all the time. And so because of the situation that had happened and because of everything that I experienced and because it was like a year that we'd only been married, I felt like I failed. I felt like I had done something wrong. Mm -hmm. I felt less than, and I felt really defeated. And at the time I felt other people were looking at me and pointing finger like, well, that's what you get for when you marry so young. And maybe if you would have waited and maybe if you would have done things differently. And there were times that I even questioned that, like, you know, where did I screw up or did I misinterpret impressions that I felt like he was the one. And so, um, it was, it, it took several years for me to navigate through all of that and to kind of find myself to realizing like I did 
make the right decision in that moment. There was a reason why I went through that experience, but it doesn't mean that that was the right thing for me to experience forever. Right. Uh, I remember feeling that all the relationships I'd had prior to Jeff, that there was always a reason for it and that it was part of my life path. And so that's the conclusion you came to that it was, you know, no matter what people might question, or even if I question myself, I know it's part of my past. So I can let that go. Exactly. And it was like really interesting for me. Um, we're still friends to this day, you know, we're cordial and and we're connected. Your first husband and, and you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he remarried his current wife and they have kids and they have a beautiful, amazing family. But he came to me at one point and said, thank you for marrying me. Like you helped save my life. Like you helped me turn myself to God. You helped me. Like if I had not married you, I would not have found my current wife. Like you helped me get myself to a point to where I could be with my future wife and to be able to have my forever family. It just came to my mind that sometimes a relationship is for us and sometimes it's for another person. And maybe it's sometimes, and I think oftentimes it's really for all of us to look at exactly. all of us in the situation to learn. But isn't that interesting that uh, he feels blessed by it? Exactly. You know, Sunshine, the, the year that I gave up on my first marriage, mm-hmm. um, I was 42 years old, so about twice as old as you were when when you went through that. But I can tell you that I went through all the same battles within myself about, you know, no success can compensate for failure in the home. So I felt like a failure at life, you know, just all of those things and 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 the deep feeling of rejection and mm-hmm. and I I struggled stuck in that muck for four years. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I think even even if you're a little bit older, when you go through that, um, my first wife was very young when we got married as well. And I wasn't, you know, I was 26, I guess. But um, but I think even if you're older, when you go through that, the only way you really gain that wisdom and it's more than just theory is getting that kick in the gut and healing from it. Yeah. And it became a really good invitation for me to go inward and to kind of silence what was happening in the external world and look at and evaluate my life and what I was invited to learn and gain and understand and go deeper with myself in a way that I probably wouldn't have ever if I hadn't gone through a, a situation like that. I think a lot of people who've been divorced can relate with that or, yeah. or maybe even anticipate it. Yeah. If they're newer and fresher in the situation. Yeah. Uh, after you went inward, did you notice that people showed up different? Like they maybe stopped saying the things they were saying or, you know, asking the questions because you were different or like, or not? Um, no, I think because I was different, I think I started attracting different people in my life. And I think I started caring less about what other people's opinions were because that was for me too. That was a I got deal. to a point to where I had to realize I'm not for everybody. I cannot control, you know, there's not a dial for me to be like, okay, I'm going to make somebody happy or, you know, like I'm going to make somebody really mad at me. Let me press the button, you know, like I realize I can't control what everybody else thinks or what their opinions are. I can only control myself. And so if I love who I am and if I'm okay with who I am, 
then I'm going to attract people that are, you know, kind of meeting me where I'm at. So it didn't change anyone in particular, but it changed how you interacted with the world and Mm -hmm. showing up in your life. And therefore you you had like a whole new experience socially when you changed you. Exactly. Cause I went before of like, what's going to happen to me now and what do I do? And, you know, everything has fallen apart, but as I began to heal, then it was, well, what do I want to do with my life? What are my opportunities? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to experience? What do I want to get out of, you know, the fact of, of my world when, as, as I'm single. And so then it, it took me into the driver's seat and me being able to decide and run with the life that I had. That's beautiful. And how long did it take you um, until you remarried? Because um, I know you remarried at some point after that. Um, it took me about three and a half, four years before I remarried. I twenty five then. Um, I was twenty four, almost twenty five. Yeah. So um, I, I because it was so traumatic for me, and I all the emotions, you know, like I said. I wanted to do it right. And so I took my time dating. I took my time wanting to, again, like find myself and, and work. So I was going to school and I was working two jobs to put myself through school. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really took my time until I found Matt. Okay. So quick question before we get onto Matt, uh, with this process you went through, I I mean, I know from at least my experiences since getting divorced and going through that four-year period, I've discovered some things that I think could have sped up my, my recovery and grieving process. I don't think there's anything that could have made it me skip it, but, but I do feel like, for example, radical acceptance and realizing that my former wife may have made a decision that I didn't want her to make. Mm -hmm but she had the right to make it. And that once she made it, that meant certain things for me. And so what are my options going forward rather than getting stuck and blaming her and, you know, all that sort of thing. I mean, that's one thing I could tell you a bunch of other things I've learned as well, but I think that one could have hastened my healing process significantly uh, among others. Yeah. Do you feel the same way that, that maybe your healing process, if you had known what you know today, wouldn't have had to last that long. I, yeah, definitely. Like, first of all, um, it wasn't until he came to me and said, you helped change my life. You, you know, you helped me to become reacquainted with God. That helped me to be able to take a step back and pray about things in a totally different way. And one of the manifestations that I received from the Lord was, you went into this agreement and you created this before you went to earth. This was not a mistake. You did not do anything wrong. You wanted to help him and you agreed to, you made this agreement. And you did. And I did. And I felt so much peace and so much gratitude. And he said, because you did this and because you were you, you made an impact and you helped prepare him for his eternal family. And that just totally shifted my perspective because before my perspective was, I screwed up. I'm not enough. How come, you know, if I was enough or if I was a certain way, then maybe things would have been different and things would have gone about differently. And so there was just so much blame on myself and I just felt so 
my value was just so less than. And also, let's so take divorce personally. Don't you it, it, exactly. You know, I think if it's part of our path, then we don't necessarily have to take it personally. We exactly. Say, oh, this was this was part of my path. I don't think most of us are taught, you know, in in our churches that like, oh, divorce might be part of your path. Never, like that never <laughs> is said. Exactly. And one of my weaknesses is like. Um, I never, I don't remember me ever putting blame on him. Like, oh, he's the problem. He's the jerk. He's whatever. But I blamed myself. Oh, well, maybe if I wasn't the problem, then he wouldn't have gotten upset or he wouldn't have reacted this way. Or, you know, like I put the responsibility on me because I felt so undervalued and I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of worth. And some people do the opposite and they, they blame, they get stuck in blame. And neither are useful. No, both are really destructive. And sometimes we even may vacillate between the two. Exactly. So I feel like looking back now, I feel like I needed to go through that journey to be able to process and mourn and grieve and and go through all that. But looking back, I can also see if I would have had the tools or the understanding of saying, Heavenly Father, will you help me see the purpose for this? Will you please manifest why this was so needed for me? Will you help me to see things from your perspective? I wonder if maybe, like you said, some of that could have been shortened a little yeah. bit. And maybe that, maybe going through that was partly to learn that lesson. Exactly. Uh, for the future, as well as to teach others the same principle as, as you're doing on this program. Exactly. Exactly. Are we ready to move to the... Yeah, I think we can move okay. to... And, and we'll revisit the other if we you know, feel like we need to, but I love that we're kind of going in chronological order. It just kind of helps things flow. Yeah. So let's move into your marriage with Matt. You were 24 and a half, 25-ish, um, and then you were married six, six and a half years before he passed? Is that six right? and a half years. He passed away in September 2015. So yeah, it was about six and a half years. Okay. And you had how many kids with him? Three kids. Okay. Three kids. So we had little ones. Yeah. So, um, when I had my first, she, we, I had her within the first year of being married and that was like a no, no for me. I was like, I'm waiting two years before I have kids. I'm wanting to enjoy life with you. I'm wanting to enjoy married life. And according to, you know, culture, it's like being, you know, 25 years old and still not having a kid is kind of like out of the norm, but I was like, it's totally fine. And I get pregnant with her and, you know, things are great. And then she's only four months old and I get pregnant with my son and I am like in complete shock. Like there's no way I should have had it. Cause I was on birth control and you know, all the things he's only three months old and I get pregnant with my, my youngest. And so I am, you know, nobody knows that I'm pregnant except for my immediate family. And obviously the people that are living around me, because I was just, this cannot be happening. And it was when I was seven months pregnant with her that my husband got diagnosed with cancer. He got diagnosed with stage four malignant melanoma. Um, And so by the time she was born, I had a newborn, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and my husband was going through cancer treatment. And when she got diagnosed with cancer, it was at that point that I realized like, oh, okay, this is the reason why I needed to have kids. But I just didn't realize it at the time. Right. Isn't it funny how we sometimes go kicking and screaming into certain situations, thinking that we know better and realize, oh, yep, that's how that needed to happen. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, 
question how did you and matt meet what's kind of the story there so he and i are both born and raised in colorado and he grew up going into the same ward as my grandmother my mom's mom and while i was in the process of you know my divorce and you know that stage those years of life for probably a about two years, my grandma had been telling me her nickname for me is Sunny. She's the only person that's allowed to call me that, but she would call me or whenever she'd come over and she would try to set me up with this guy. And I was just not interested at all, you know, cause it's your grandma. You just, you don't, you don't know. <laughs> and she did everything that she could. And I was just like, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And so finally one day she's like, will you please give him a chance? He's a pilot. I'm not a man. I'm not for like a man in uniform. I could care less, but I was like, well, that's kind of attractive. You know, he's a pilot. And so I was like, fine, you can give him my phone number. We, he didn't even call me for about six months. And so finally I was like, oh, I'm out of it. You know? I'm fine. You know, like I ditched that one. I'm good to go. And he called me out of the blue and, uh, I just was not interested at all. Like it was not my cup of tea. We were just, I was not interested, but he kept pursuing of like wanting to go on a date. And I went on a date with him and I still wasn't feeling it. And I just was not attracted to him, but we became, you know, we, we were friends, but he would I only actually be... love this story already because <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that might meet and they're not feeling it. Oh, it we were, I was not feeling it at all. Like we would hang out, but it was like, I would hang out with him kind of like when I had no other like options, you know, like, and I wasn't mean to him, but it was just like, I did not make our friendship a priority. So I would love to know, how did you end up married to this person? So this went on for probably about a year. Okay. Friendship for a year. And because I was not interested, like he saw every single side of me, like he would come over and I would have like the crazy bed head and he would see like all my stuff everywhere in the bathroom. And he's like, he saw every side of me. Cause there was no trying to impress him at all. You know, um, to like, it was the day of Thanksgiving. I think it was 2007. It was 2007 Thanksgiving. I had seen him the night before he flew out for an interview. Cause he was, he was in aviation. He flew back. We had a late night dinner at like eight o'clock. And then we were like, Hey, we'll hang out this weekend. You know, at some point, this is the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I wake up. I kid you not. There were I, I woke up in love with him. Like it was like somebody had taken a magic wand and was like, Okay, you're gonna she be in love with like the, the love that I am not even joking. It's not like, oh, well, maybe you, were you developing feelings? Like maybe no, there was like total friend zone, nothing like nothing. And I woke up like in love with the guy. So I text him, like, hey, are you coming over today? And he is like, Well, it's Thanksgiving. I thought we were gonna get together sometime this week. I was like, No, you need to come over today. And I was so like anxious and excited for him to like come over. And I'm never like that with him. It was just kind of like, cool, whatever, like we're buds. He came over and I told, and he, there were several times that he told me like, I like you. I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm like, nope, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. Go find somebody else. Like we would even be out like in a store and I would see a cute girl and I'm like, oh, maybe you should go get her phone number. Like maybe you should ask her out. Like I was that person. So we sit down and I'm like, so I've got something to tell you. And I was like, I love you. And I'm crazy about you. And he just lost it. Like his eyes were just. So the same night we had our first kiss and said, I loved you and all of that in one night. And then we were engaged five months later and then married 
couple months after that. Oh my gosh, I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little bit like our courtship. I mean, not, I, I don't not know exactly. that it was like, yeah, no, it, it wasn't that instant for me, but like, I definitely, I was, I was like, whoa, and yeah, go for someone else. I mean, and... we did have, after we dated the first time, you know, on and off throughout 2016, 2017, we were just friends the entire year. And then. Yep. I friend, we friend zoned yeah. and, uh, and then all of and then all of a sudden he decided like, I really need to kind of make one more attempt with her. And, and I received it and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But then I thought the more I thought about it, the more yeah. I thought, actually, I think he probably makes the most sense for me. <laughs> and then we had our, what we call our third first kiss. Um, Cause we dated on and off the year before that we were just friends. And yeah, that was, that was the, the, the deal. That was the, the, the icing on the cake. What's that? The icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, and when you know someone and you've gotten to know each other on all the different levels, not just romantic dating, it, it can be really exciting to then kind of move into a relationship you didn't yeah. really expect to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing that, that we say, and we've said it recently a lot, is that love is not the root, it's the fruit. And mm -hmm. sometimes people get in trouble dating when they focus too much on, mm -hmm. am I feeling it? What's, what are my emotions? And if I'm not feeling certain emotions, that other person must have something wrong with them or whatever. Or we just don't have the spark. We just don't have chemistry. And isn't right. it interesting that for you, you didn't have it. And then all of a sudden you just did. It just was there. Like I, it was crazy. And for it, me, it's it, more like it grew. Like it, it grew when it needed to go. No, mine was like divine intervention. It was like a divine spiritual magic wand that like literally hit me over the head. It was crazy. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. And then you were married and you had three little babies very fast. And then he was diagnosed with cancer when you were pregnant with your third. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then um, you said he's a pilot. Um, did he have to stop working? I'm assuming at some point he did. So he was, he would fly for fun. He never wanted to fly professionally. So he was an aircraft dispatcher and yeah, he had to take time off for working. And then obviously towards the end, you know, he had to stop working. Working all, yeah. But I lost a brother to cancer. And so I, I'm sympathetic to, to what you went through. I mean, I know every case is a little different, but yeah but it was a long goodbye with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, it was interesting because, um, so he got, he had melanoma, which is skin cancer. And it was not because he was using a tanning bed. It wasn't because he was out in the sun. It was not because of sun exposure. It was genetic. It was because of moles that were on his body. He was constantly getting them removed. And so it ended up being one of the moles that, had gotten it, but it was so deep into his body that it was stage four malignant cancer. And at that point, um, we flew out to Colorado to meet with a specialist that specializes in melanoma. And he said, um, the problem that a lot of people have with cancer is if it can't be seen by a, um, imaging device, a lot of people will term it as, you are cancer free, you know, you're in remission. And he said, the problem with that is the cancer can still be in your body, but it's just not able to be picked up when that happens. 
the term for it is called NED, which means no evidence of disease, but it's still there. And he said, what we found with melanoma is it is one of the fastest growing and fastest spreading and least funded cancers that my goal is to get you to NED as quickly as possible. If you are able to stay in NED for five years, then we can term somebody, you know, cancer-free or in remission. And he said, however, I have yet to see a case where it's been stage four malignant cancer, the stage that you are, and it going into NED for more than a couple of years. Yeah. So he said, I'm going to just tell you off the bat right now, it's going to be a matter of if it's not going to be a matter of if it's going to be a matter of when, but we don't know when that win is going to be for you. And that broke my heart, you know, because I have a newborn, a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And as I was praying, I immediately received the confirmation that at some point it was going to take his life, but I didn't know when it was. So how long was it after that? Just so we did a treatment for a year, really heavy treatment for a year. And we got him to Ned about at like 14, 15 months. And then he was at, in Ned for about two years. And then the cancer came back. And when it came back, it came back in his lungs mm-hmm. and then it spread to his brain and then it spread to his spine and then his hips. Um, what was really interesting is he passed away a year exactly to the date that the cancer came back. So, and then that was similar with my brother. It was probably 11 months um, ish, but yeah, that once it recurs, of course, then you said to the day. Yeah. So it September, it was September 18th, 2014, when he got the scans back saying that the cancer had returned because, you know, he did a CAT scan and there were two teeny, teeny, tiny spots in his lungs. He passed away September 19th, 2015, the exact year. So from the time that he was diagnosed to the time that he passed away was three years. I, I want to ask you about the grieving process, but first I'd like to ask you, you know, the healing modalities and things that you learned by caring for him. Uh, if you could give us at least a little overview of some of the things you learned. And, well, what- and one thing I've been curious about is if you had been interested in those things before, or if it was purely when he got cancer. Throughout my life, um, I've had my own slew of health issues. And so when I was in high school, this was before any of this came out. So this is like the pioneering stage of all of this. Like there were literally no options. My mom, we went to a naturopath doctor and my doctor told my mom to get me off of all processed foods. And this is like late 1990s, 2000s, right? So this is like the health food craze has not even started yet. So these foods that we eat now just do not exist. And so she said, take me off of all processed foods, take her off of yeast for a little while, like, and just have a really whole diet. And I saw that it completely turned me around, but again, this is before anything came out. And so that kind of laid the foundation of how my nutrition started shifting and and changing through the years. So, um, when he got diagnosed, one of the very first things that he said is, I want to find out how we can heal this naturally, what we can do naturally. And so I, I think I recorded about a thousand hours of research of just researching the anatomy of the body. And I wanted to understand what was happening on a cellular level. And I wanted to understand the deficiencies. Why is it that cancer patients, like all cancer patients are vitamin E deficient and they struggle with Mm -hmm. vitamin B and they, they're 
their gut gets out of whack and they get super acidic. Like, why is that? Like what causes the deficiencies? What, what is happening in the body for the body to do that? What's happening on the cellular level? What's like, I just, I went crazy. And so then I wanted to understand nutritionally, what is it that whole foods are able to do to fill in the gaps? And so I created a meal plan for him to help support him while he was, you know, going through cancer treatment and it completely turned him around. He was still sick, but his quality of life was completely different. At this um, point, the Lord also introduced me to essential oils. Well, why? Like, I understand, like, if you, you know, give somebody a carrot because of the beta carotene in it, you know, what that's going to do for the body, but why essential oils? Like, what does it do? You know, you go into the Bible and there's spikenard that's used and there's cassia and there's frankincense and there's myrrh. So I went and I started understanding the properties of like the biblical oils. And I started seeing like the healing properties that were connected to it. So then I was like, I wonder if there are healing properties then with oils. But then as I dug deeper, I started realizing that there's an emotional healing component that can do that. And so then I started learning that there were emotional components that food can do to help heal you. And so then I started getting into yoga and I went through yoga teacher mm. training and I started getting into, you know, like it just modality after modality started coming to me and the Lord would tell me, I need you to get certified in this, or I need you to go and get educated in this. And then I need you to pass a test to, you know, to be able to have this. Did you, you have several certifications? Uh, many. Yeah. That sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just originally thought like, oh, this is in my toolbox to help him and to help my family, you know, cause my kids were a lot younger and I really feel like those things helped give him a better quality of life because we approach things from that way. Yeah. Now what's the spiritual component of all of that? Um, you know, as you're helping him with his diet and all the other things, is there an emotional, spiritual connection also? With like the modalities and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So for an example, frankincense, um, there's a lot of emotional and spiritual aspects of frankincense that are connected to um, the divine father or like our heavenly father. And there's a lot of healing. Like I could do like a whole 30 minute session just on frankincense, but you know, I actually do frankincense foot rubs for my family every year. It's one of our yes, traditions. It's fun. I, I like foot rubs, but so anyway. it's like a divine masculine oil that's connected to healing and, and connecting you with heavenly father or with God and myrrh has, um, the attributes and the qualities of a feminine, like our, our, our heavenly mother. And so there's emotional. So people who struggle with wounds with, um, different aspects can use myrrh and frankincense. And if you look at Christ, you know, he was given gold frankincense and myrrh. Um, you can see the relationship of our heavenly father and our heavenly mother and the Godhead. And there's so many different symbolism and things that you can bring in with like different oils. Spike nerd, for an example, has a frequency of gratitude and, um, pure love. And so if you look at Mary, when she, you know, opened up the spike nerd and anointed Jesus's feet, you know, with spike nerd, you can look and go deep into the symbolism and stuff with all of that. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I've even found parallels in the old Testament for, for that, for yeah. what she did. Like it was almost prophesied for a thousand years. Well, you know? and interesting that you would say divine masculine. <clears throat> and I just felt in, I've gotten a lot more in touch with my intuition. My, when I, because I had some stomach issues and it required a lot of dietary changes. And for a long time, I didn't know what to eat and what not to eat. And now that I know, um, 
it's just even that then I have to fine tune it by how I'm feeling it, right? Yeah. So I've, I've just gotten a lot more in touch with my intuition and I felt really strongly I should start doing these Franken foot scents, foot rubs, and we have all boys in our family. Yeah. So yeah. interesting that it would be the divine masculine that I'm, I'm sharing. It's amazing. That. So yeah. when I use essential oils now, I do not use them for the physical properties. I use them for the emotional properties to help people plug in the gaps emotionally to help them facilitate healing or, you know, work that we're doing. Well, and it's all connected anyway. It is connected. Yeah. By the way, is, is frankincense incense? Is it a kind of incense? No, it is like, it looks like kind of like a rock. Okay. And it's like, or like a stone and it has to be kind of grounded in and there's a certain way to extract the oil from it. But like in some of like the videos that you see in the wise men are putting it, you know, holding it up, it's like rocks almost. It's like mm. a yellowish ivoryish color, huh. Okay. but you can burn it like frankincense. Like you can't put, um, fire to it and, and, and burn it that way too. Cause I, I know Catholics will burn incense as a, and, and the, the rising smoke is supposed to symbolize your prayers ascending to God. Yeah. And incense was used in like the tabernacle in the old Testament. Right. Yeah. For the same purpose. Of that that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that has a sort of deep spiritual connection too. So it yeah. sounds like all this, um, these efforts that you've made, it, it was always an interest to you since the time you were young. And then it came in a lot with the cancer and um of your husband and then um you said that it didn't save him i mean clearly it did not um and it may not have even in prolonged his life but you said it, it led to a better quality of, of life while he was still here it did i realized looking back on my life now that the lord was laying a framework for my entire life and my entire future and i think that he does that for all of us so even when it came to my husband um I, I get really emotional when I talk about this. I felt so overwhelmed, you know, having like a newborn, a one-year-old, two-year-old, and then to have a one, two, three, you know, being so young for him, not being able to work. We are jerk poor, you know, like I'm in my early thirties, like life was really, really hard. The Lord always was like one to two steps ahead of preparing me to help me go through the process. And it was so interesting that I would not know why I was going through things or why he was having me do things, but it was always, once I got to a certain point, I was able to look back and say, oh my goodness. So for an example, I met, um, I have a really dear friend where her husband also passed away of melanoma several years before Matt had passed away. And I was in Utah for training. It was actually for, um, some guided imagery, hypnotherapy training. And we went out to dinner and she said, okay, I feel like we need to have a conversation. And I hope you're not going to be mad at me, but I need to talk to you about some things. And I said, okay, so this is July. My husband's passing away in September, right? But we don't know that he's not on hospice yet or anything, but she has a conversation with me and she goes, I want to talk to you about end of life. And I want to talk to you about what I want to, what I want you to do to set yourself up. So that way, when he, when he dies, I want to give you a to-do list, a set of, of things to do. So that way you're prepared. And it's not going to make any sense to you, but I'm going to ask you to trust me. And she gave me a list. Like she said, so what I'm wanting you to do is I'm wanting you to go get a new comforter. I'm wanting you to go get a whole new bed set. And I'm wanting you to have it on standby 
I'm wanting you to go get six or seven of the big buckets from Costco. And you are going to start putting his items and things that you want to keep for either you or the kids or memories. And I'm wanting you to separate them into these seven tubs. And I want you to start working on it now. And she gave me this huge to-do list. She was like, the minute that he dies, you're going to have somebody that's going to come in and get his toothbrush and his deodorant and everything out of the bathroom and get rid of it. They're going to, I want you to hire somebody and have them on standby to come and deep clean your house. Because when he passes away, you're going to have the stench of death in your entire house. And you're going to trust me. It doesn't matter how clean you keep your house. You're going to need to have that house deep cleaned. The minute that they take his body, you're going to have a group of people that are going to come in and make your bed and change your room around and get a new set of curtains because you need to have a brand new room. And she went and gave me just this huge checklist of how many death certificates to order and you need to go to the social security office. And she gave me a list that was probably about three pages long of things that I needed to do. And she goes, this is what you need to, you need to have a group that's going to do this. This is when you need to call them. This is when you need to tell them what you want them to do and what it's going to look like. This is when you're going to do this action step. This is when you want to do this. And these are the things I want you to start doing now and have Matt being involved in it. It seems like she kind of streamlined the administrative process of having him pass and so, the that, healing process. so that you could deal with the grief. Exactly. So she kind of explained why, but it wasn't until I started going through this. So I came back from that trip. We're now at the end of July and I sat down with Matt and he goes, let's do this. I love this. And so we went through every aspect of the home and he was like, nope, I don't care about this. Nope. I don't care about this. Let's just go ahead and get rid of it now. And then, and when it came to like his clothes and stuff, like he would choose the clothes that he's like, oh, I like this. I like this. I like this. And so as it got closer, the last 30 days of his life, he never left bed. She called me and she goes, remember that bucket that you have with his clothes? And I was like, yeah, she was like, he's not not going to be wearing anything anymore. She I was like, whatever. she's like either donate it or put it in the tub for the kids for, for you and the kids. And she set me up. And the reason why she did that, cause it, to some people it might, will sound morbid. Like, why would you hurry up and get rid of all this oh, thing? And she said, when you see anything that reminds you of him, it's just going to put you into a downward spiral. So she's like, by having things put away, you can get a tub out and have it marked like his clothes. She's like, there's going to be a day where you're going to want to go put on every piece of clothing that he has. And you're going to look like an Oompa Loompa, but it's going to feel like him. She's like, you're going to know exactly where that, that, that bucket is. And, you know, you might want to go hold his wallet or you might want to go, you know, get into things like you're going to have everything out. But then when you're done, you could put it away. She's like, in order for you to move forward, you're going to want to be able to have a new place and to be able to start over. And you're not going to have the mental capacity to go through his stuff because it's just going to be too many, you know, too many things for you. And the administrative things get to be so overwhelming because you've never done it before. You just feel so overwhelmed. So she kind of set me up as far as everything to do. And it was amazing that the minute that time came and I exercised all of that, it was the biggest reprieve for me. It was the biggest refuge. But then what's been interesting is ever since Matt passed away, I've, I've helped probably about 50 families now who have come to me and have said, either my wife is passing away or my husband is passing away. I've been able to take that list, be able to take that process, streamline it so much more effective to where I've got my own process now that I've been able to pass that on and kind of give that on to. We might need to get that list from you for a few couple of friends of ours. 
I, I have a, a two part question for you on this. Yeah. Um, and the first part is, I mean, it, if I counted right, you spent approximately half of your marriage to Matt in crisis mode. Mm -hmm. Is that about right? And yeah. so I'm going to ask you, I mean, that's, that's certainly unconventional, but do you regard your marriage to him as a happy marriage, even despite the, the three years of illness and trials? And then the second part is, um, well, I'll, let, let me give you the first part first. And, and yes and no. I'm going to say no, because you're right. You hit it nail on the head, like be, by being in college and by being super poor and go, having the kids so close together. And just that right there, there was so much hardship. You know, there was a lot of arguing and disagreements. And because of the tension, you know, I brought the tension into our relationship, but then you bring into the health situation, then I'm taking care of everything, you know, and I'm the caretaker, not only for my children, but for him, that there was a lot of hurt and pain and crisis and surviving that, that we were trying to maneuver. And it was really, really hard. However, the last year of his life. So if the cancer came back in September, beginning January, we had just had this feeling that this is our last year. We didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. We didn't know the month. We didn't know the day, but we just, we, and the doctors told us that it was terminal, but we spent that last year, not only preparing for his passing, but we also spent that last year healing. So by the time that he passed away, there was no hard feelings. Everything was laid out on the table. Everything that wanted to be said was said. There was so much love, so much peace, so much gratitude, so many memories made. Like it was like sending him off with like a big bow, you know, like it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I think you kind of answered my second question already, but the, uh, the, uh, the other one or the second question was, was really about that closure resolution kind of part of it. Um, and it, it sounds like you you had time to kind of just figure things out with him. That, that again is where the Lord came in. So again, in July, um, I felt really impressed that we needed to go and pick out his casket and do all of that work. I got a lot of backlash from family. I got a lot of backlash from a lot of people of why would you do that? Why are you losing hope? Like he's still alive. Like, why are you throwing in the towel? Like that is morbid. That is wrong. We even took our kids. I was very open with my kids of what we were doing and why we were doing it. You know, dad is sick. They knew that dad had cancer, but I was so open and I got a lot of backlash. Like, why would you bring your young kids into that? Like, that is so unfair. Your job is to nurture them. Your job is to support them. But I did. And so he picked out his casket. He wanted it silver and he wanted everybody to autograph it. Who came into the viewing to be able to autograph it or write a message. He picked out the flowers. He picked out everything that had to do with it. He um, picked the program. He picked the speakers. He picked the songs. He picked who he wanted to say the prayer. Um, we already picked his plot for the cemetery. And the purpose was is so that we could have it all ready done so that I didn't have to go through that when he passed away. Well, and I, I got not, to choose. 
and he got to choose. So like it was his, but I didn't realize how significant that would be until he had passed. And that week leading up to the funeral, I was a wreck, you know, like you just, there's a term called widow's brain where you just are in this constant fog and you just can't think and you can't process. I remember distinctly thinking, I am so grateful heavenly father, that you loved me so much. And you knew what I was going to go through and having these small kids to prepare me in this way that it's all done and complete. And so it was things like that, where he would facilitate conversations that needed to be had between me and Matt and, you know, different things. Um, so that way, when it did happen and he did go through the veil it was a very beautiful, it was still hard. It was still heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching, but it was beautiful and sacred and incredible compared to it just being awful. Well, and I want to make a, an observation here that uh, we, we teach a lot about radical acceptance when divorce has happened. And it's like you were accepting in advance what you knew was going to happen, like you had been spiritually prompted to know. I remember distinctly at one point sitting on my bed and I remember distinctly having this thought, you have to choose how you're going to move forward. What is your choice? It was like a, a voice that came to me. And I remember thinking there, asking myself, what do I choose? What do I, how do I want to go forward? And I remember distinctly saying out loud to myself in the room, as if somebody was there, I choose faith. I don't know how this is going to look like. I don't know what lies ahead. I know I don't want to go through this, but I know that you want him home for whatever reason, whatever that looks like you want him home. I'm going to choose faith. I just ask that you help me every step of the way, because I don't know how to do this. And I remember every time things getting hard, that voice coming to me saying, what is it that you're going to choose? How do you choose to go forward? And I remember saying to myself, I choose faith. And then the, it like wrapped up in that faith was that acceptance piece. Like, yeah. Because it was like choosing to trust, choosing to believe, choosing to go forward, choosing to surrender, choosing, even when it didn't make sense, I made the decision of when I felt impressed, I was going to act on it no matter what. And I believe that because of that, I received the blessings of receiving that revelation beforehand, even though it didn't make sense to anybody else. And even me at times I can look back and I can testify the Lord was with me every single step of the way. And you asked for help. And so acting on those impressions was you accepting. Yeah. You know, that, that surrender piece, um, I think is very important, uh, and it's, it's maybe one of the hardest things that we do because I think, I mean, as, as you may or may not have heard, um, I lost a 24-year-old son in August yeah. uh, in, a, in a tragic accident. And uh, as I find my brain, even now, if I'm, you know, when it's just sort of free thinking, I, I find my brain wanting to try to figure out a way out. Mm -hmm. And of course, until the coming of Christ, there's no way out. Yeah, it's not happening. And so I, I have to actually come back, re-anchor myself and say, no, he's gone for the rest of this life. He's gone. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's a hard thing to do, but it also, hard. I believe helps 
in the healing process. The I, I want to sort of use that as a segue also into my next question for you. My my uh, first marriage was the the divorce was incredibly difficult. You know, as I've sort of described earlier. Um, but I can honestly tell you right now that I'm 100% over it. Um, I, I've grieved it. I have moved on. I have an incredible wife sitting next to me right now. Um, I have a great life that we've built together. And, but, you know, I could have a dozen more sons and they would never replace the one I lost. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I would love each of them too for their own self but but i can't but i can't replace a son or daughter and so i think in, in some ways well i i understand that i'm going to have a wound in my heart forever yeah uh, from that and in, in a way i want that I, yeah I, not that i want to be miserable all the time i don't think that's going to happen i think i'll you know get back to my normal happy self that does, I mean, even with like my brother's death, 29 years later, I can still see something or think a thought and be teary. Mm -hmm. um, I don't expect that to be different with my son. Now, your situation is, is interesting with your loss of your husband. Um, I saw something by another widow the other day who had remarried. And she was talking about how she was still in love with her, her first husband but also in love with her current husband and that. And not, know, but it's an aunt. It's like, it's both. And that she continues to grieve for the first one, but she has love and devotion for the second one. And so, so I'm going to ask you, I guess, um, do you expect that the, there will be some process like that, some grieving process that goes on and on even if you remarry and, you know, move ahead with life that way. Yeah. So what's really interesting, um, in order to help answer your question of why I can answer, I want to kind of give you a little bit of, you know, backstory on this. My kids were three, four, and five when he passed away. And the last 30 days of his life, my house was transformed into a temple. It mm -hmm. didn't matter what faith you were. It didn't matter whether you believed in God. Everybody who would enter into my house, they would automatically just kind of stop and they would take off their shoes just without being asked. And their voice naturally was quiet. It's like everybody could feel that my house was a sacred place. And one day I woke up and I was getting my daughter ready for kindergarten. And the spirit told me, ask her if she can see angels. And I was like, what? And it was very like, ask her if she can see angels. And so I asked her, her name is Eliana. And I said, Eliana, can you see angels? And she goes, oh yes. And she started describing these angels that were all in our house and what they looked like and what they were wearing. Come to find out quite a few of them were ancestors, family members that had passed away. I realized that all of my kids were, they were going to school with her and riding the bus with her. And there were angels playing with my kids and in their bedroom. And, you know, they were just describing everything to me. And at that point, when Matt would wake up, I remember that day, you know, he was sleeping six or seven hours, you know, at a time. I remember one time when he was awake and I said, Matt, the kids can see angels. 
I need you to make sure that you come and visit them because they can see you. So they'll be able to see you. And he goes, of course I will, you know, of course, you know, I'll be there. Well, I've been able to always have the gift where I can feel when like people are around, like certain like ancestors or family members are around and I can kind of communicate with them like spirit to spirit, you know, like through thoughts, you know, in my head or whatever. But at the time, like that was just the, the, you know, all I could do when he passed away, it was 24 hours after he had passed. I'd gone to the temple. It was a Saturday morning. I'd gone to the temple. My kids finally, you know, came to my house and it was Sunday morning. We were on our way to my parents' house. And all of a sudden my kids go daddy. And they just start talking to him and they start yepping away. Just like, Oh, we're going to grandma's house and we're going to And they were just talking to him as if he was in the car with them. And from that point on, they were able to have a relationship with them. They were able to see him. And then what was kind of interesting is my spiritual gift was enhanced that I never was able to see him with my physical eyes the way that my kids were, but I always knew when he was around and he would talk to me and his, his voice, like his dialogue would come into my head. And for years, you know, up until I met my, my new, you know, my recent husband, as since I remarried, he would talk to me when I would be really struggling with the kids. He would say, sunshine, I want you to, Da, 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 and you know, tell me what to do or you um, to be raising them with you. Yeah. I would have a really bad day and he'd say, just go out to eat, just go and, you know, go take them and go get pizza and go get ice cream. Don't even worry about the money. Like just go have fun, you know, go, go live life. And he would teach me through the veil so many different things. Well, it got to a point to where he was the one that said, sunshine, you need to start dating. And I said, I don't want to date, like not because it was about him, but my, I, you know, like when you're divorced, one difference is, is, you know, you get to share kids every other weekend, or, you know, you have a parenting agreement to where you can find yourself having a night out or whatever as a widow, you don't have that. I'm with my kids all the time and you don't get child support or alimony or, you know, any of that, like I'm providing for my kids. And so in order to just go on a first date, you know, like I had to be invested enough to get a babysitter and pay for the babysitter and make all the arrangements just to be gone for a couple of hours, just to go on a first date. And so it was just daunting to me, but he was the one that would, would tell me, no, you got to do this. I would come home from dates or I would start dating people for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and it wouldn't work out. And I would just be like, I'm done. I'm done. And I would vent to him. Like I'm done. This is ridiculous. This is awful. Um, a lot of people don't like dating a widow. They don't want to marry, remarry a widow because of all the things that, you know, go along with that. And he would be my person that would give me the pep talk sunshine. You've got this and you can do this. And there's somebody incredible for you and you're going to love him. And he's going to take care of you. And he's going to be there for you. Um, actually before he died, like January before he died, he woke up one day and he goes, I had a dream and I saw the person you're going to marry. I didn't see his face, but I know you're going to be taken care of. And I know you're going to be provided for, and he's going to be a really good stepdad for the kids. And so even we had those conversations, you know, before he passed away, the fact that, you know, I want you to get married and I want you to be happy and you know, all of that. And so what was really interesting is because of him and because of him encouraging me and loving me and being there for me he helped me get into my now relationship with my current husband. And it was kind of hard. It was actually bittersweet because the minute that I got married to him, he said, 
I am always going to be around. I'm, I'm always going to be here for the kids. I'm, I'm going to protect you guys. I'm going to be here for you guys, but I am taking a step over now and I'm stepping aside because now you're with Steve and now he's the one that's going to provide for you. And he's going to be the one that's going to be there for you and give to you and the ways I will be able to do it through the veil, but now it's him. And so I remember that day of, of feeling that separation. I still felt his presence, but I felt that separation from the utmost active love from him and respect that he had for Steve so that I could now be in this, you know, relationship with him. Wow. That's awesome. I, I, I do have a quick question. I just, I, we do need to wrap up soon, but I, I wanted to digress for just a second because I've just, it's been, um, I just, I'm dying to know, like, I just, yeah. I think, and it might even help our audience to know if, if they've ever experienced um, loss of a loved one through death or might and be anticipating that. You said that you were asked to box up all those things and in some things you were planning to, to send away mm-hmm. and some things you were planning to just have almost as like memorabilia or keepsakes, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then was it just kind of, I'm assuming she left that up to you to decide which was what and so you just kept what was meaningful over time did you did you let go of more of it or did you kind of just decide from the get-go this is what I want to keep long term this is what I'm going to get rid of and just do it you just I still have the six buckets and I still have everything that I put in there like I've got probably about six or seven of his ties because I thought you know what I want my son to maybe be able to have his ties when he gets older and I've got some of his shirts and I've got a pair of jeans and I got a pair of shoes because I thought like what if the kids want to know like what he wore what he looked like maybe those styles come back maybe my my son will be like, I want to wear it. Or maybe my girls and they say, Hey, even though it's dad's shirt, like I want to have it. I've got all of his CDs, even though we don't listen to CDs anymore. I've kept all of his CD cases and I have his old wallet and his old driver's license. And did it make it easier to let go of the rest when you knew, okay, I kept parts of him and yeah. I kept parts that were most important to me. Honestly, what really helped is when he went through a lot of that with me and then the stuff that was left um, were things that he really loved. And so then it was a lot easier for me to decide, keep or go away. Like just really quick. I was able to just make, you know, quicker convers, you know, decisions about it and have helped, helped choose that also. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So moving on to your, um, now marriage with Steve, you remarried, um, how many years after that? You said Matt passed in 2015, is that right? 17, 18, four years later. 2019 20 oh it was 2018 so three years later same year we got married yeah what what month uh september okay we were in may so just okay yeah so you're married about four and a half years yeah yeah okay and and you i think in your bio it's seven kids so does that mean you have four bonus kids yes i've got four bonus kids so together we've got seven kids okay and how old are they um, 17, 15, 12, and 10. And then how old are yours now? Um, 13, 12, and 11. Oh, wow. So like a, several of them are really close. Maybe. Yeah. So they're all like inter- intertwined. Yes. Now you, you told us that uh, some stuff about how, how your, um, Matt helped you to meet Steve. How did you actually meet? Was it like through friends or online or? 
So I finally caved with a girlfriend of mine and I finally went on mutual, the dating app. Okay. And I was often on it. Like I could never make a decision. And finally my, my best friend at the time, she said, sunshine, you've got to just stay on it. Give yourself at least two months. Like you can't be on it for a week and then get off, you know, like it was just so sporadic. And it was when I got on, I saw his picture, I saw his profile and I swiped up and he'd already swiped up for me. And we had started emailing, but I was very sporadic. Like I would go two or three days before responding. And once we started talking, um, we hit it off really well. And he, um, came out to see me a few weeks later and we actually eloped and we got married when he came out to see me. And we've been together ever since. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, and tell us how you balance the love you feel for Matt and, and even how he became an angel in your life and guided you through your uh, single mom years um, until you married Steve. Like, how do you balance that love that you, you, you really, like you said, kind of solidified in that last year of his life? And then beyond and that and now you have this live breathing husband who's stepped in and been and now he's a great stepdad i mean it's i mean i would assume it was really helpful that matt did play a part because then there's this connection between them in you know a spiritual way kind of like you're all a family in a way we are we really are because i was able to talk to him there would be times where like the kids would drive me crazy and i'm like matt i'm done you got to step in and come lay with them and and i'm like talk to them for me or you know be with them like i can't do this like i would talk out loud to him as if he was present still almost every single day. Like your daughter is driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. She is just like you in this situation. Like you come and get resurrected and you come through and you come take care of her. Like, I, <laughs> like no, I would say things like I am so done and I'm so fed up. Like, I wish I could just do like, bring your kid to work day and they can come and visit you. Like I would bring just your body so back right now. I would just be so frustrated, but he would like, talk to me, you know, he would be like, just, you know, and he would tell me how to handle situations, you know, or he would tell me like, stop worrying about the small stuff. Like, just go and build memories. It doesn't matter. Like money does not matter. Sunshine, like go do something where you can look back on this day and capture a moment, go take a picture of it. So you can look back on the memory that you've had, like just, you know, and so he was actively apart and I allowed myself to just feel my feelings. I think in order to surrender, you have to give yourself permission to be angry and to be sure. mad and to question and to feel abandoned and, you know, to go through all of that in order to be able to surrender, you know, and go through it. Um, now what, when it comes to Steve, he is the reason why things are so amazing the way that they are, because he was the one that was so interested of, tell me everything about Matt. Tell me about your relationship. Tell me the type of dad he was. Tell me, you know, the impact that he had. Like he wanted to know and see pictures and he wanted to do it. Really and feel it. yeah. And from the very beginning, it was, I'm going to be a dad with Matt and I want to just stand in for him. And we have pictures of Matt, like in the kids' rooms and around the house. And we talk about him all the time and he does not get jealous and he does not, um, feel less than like, he knows that I 
love Matt and I care about him, but he is so secure in our relationship too, that he's like, I know you love me. I know you're crazy about me. Like, I know that you want to be with me and I, I love you as you are. He has a really good relationship with my father-in-law. He is actually coming out this next week to spend the weekend with us. And he will call my father-in-law and my father-in-law will call him and, you know, coordinate things and, and stuff. And like when it's former father-in-law. My, my former father-in-law, you know, like when it's Matt's birthday, all of us, including my Steve, like we'll go out to dinner and we'll talk about Matt. And when it's his anniversary, all of us, including Steve, will go out and celebrate Matt. By and the way, I love that term and I've adopted it. Anniversary, <laughs> I love it. September 19th of 2015, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or August 27th, 2022. For you. For you. 28th, I guess. Your son. Yeah. So I really believe it's because of Steve and how amazing he is that he has just been so welcoming that he's never felt less than, and he's always welcomed Matt to be a part of the family that we are one big family. I really love that. And I don't know, he must've came that way, like with a gift. Yeah. I, yeah. Because that was why dating was so hard for me is because I would go through a certain amount of questions and then I, I would be ghosted. And it is hard being married to a widow or a widower because you, you want to know like, well, do you love me just as much as you love the other person? Do I have, you know, significance in your life the way that you do? Like you had children with them and I don't have, you know, a child with you. So, you know, like, do we have that bond? And there's oh, I don't so know many if you've ever heard this phrase, but I think even if people don't come from with the gift, I think there is something that can be developed if we understand that love is additive, mm -hmm. which means that your love for Matt doesn't take away from your love for Steve. His love for you doesn't take away Matt's love for you. Like it, it's like it, there, it's all additive when you really understand how love works, like real love works. Exactly. And it's a totally different love. Like the way that I love Steve and the relationship I have with him bless me and edify me in ways that I didn't have with Matt. It doesn't mean that it's less than or more. It's just very different and vice versa. Like the love and the relationship that I have with Matt is very different. Matt is like a best friend, you know, he's like somebody that I just really get along with and I appreciate, but, and, and the love is just very different, but they're, they both feel me. And, well, and it was meant to be different life experience. Like you exactly. said, with Matt, it was a preparation for your whole life. And, and even for Steve. It was. Yeah. And then with, and it was a chat, it was a trial and a challenge that shaped you. Yeah. And with Steve, like you said, it's been blessed and edifying because the experience is different. Yeah. Not the caretaker. It's more um, give and take because you're, you're not in that situation you were with Matt. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes, that makes a total sense that, and, and each situation was part of your path. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, we need to wrap up. Is there anything, Kathy, anything more that um, you really I mean, I know we could there. talk longer, but yeah, you know, we could we, talk all day, but, <laughs> um, we really, I just really enjoyed getting <clears throat> to know you. I guess the, the one question I would ask is, um, so is Steve, was Steve divorced or widowed himself? Yeah, he's divorced. Divorced. So, um, I've always thought it was interesting when a, a widow at, or a widower is married to a divorcee. And I, I had someone come up to me and say, 
you know, we just really love each other and we really get each other, even though we've had different life experience. And I thought that was really beautiful. And I, I wasn't, I didn't get to a chance to elaborate with that, but maybe if you could just quickly tell us, like, I mean, obviously you, you know, like if you have a blessed and edified marriage now with him, there's some kind of understanding between you. Like you have experienced divorce, you have experienced um, death. And I think that's also kind of unique. It's not unheard of, but it's a little bit unique to have someone who's experienced both. Do you think that has helped you relate with him more on the divorce side of things? Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really helped. Um, for me, I think it just has been so incredible for me. And it's been such a blessing for me, for Steve to be <clears throat> so open-minded and so accepting and welcoming of all of my feelings and all of my life experiences and not being threatened by them and vice versa. I think what really has blessed our marriage is the ability to be so vulnerable with each other and to communicate from such a raw and open place of sharing our experiences and really being able to accept and love the other person with where they've been able to be. Uh, yeah, I think you got, you nailed it with accepting each other and your life experiences. And then being vulnerable is what connects you. Mm -hmm. You connect, you're vulnerable and you're real. And then that accepting piece is what brings in the love between you. And I think that's what I'd like to leave our audience with really is that when you're out there dating, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced or whether you have not yet married, you might have different life experience than people you are dating, but when you can be open and real with each other, you can learn a lot from people, a lot. Oh. And then when there's acceptance, there's love, whether it ends up in a marriage or not. I think that's what we, I mean, that's really what love in later years is all about. It's not just getting a partner for the rest of your life. And, and sometimes it's maybe even not that same. Sometimes it's, it's, it's different than that, but like, it's, it's about so much more. It's about, um, really loving each other through all of the different variety of experiences we've been through. I think, I think you've hit it nail on the head, you know, like Steve has an experience loss the way that I have. And yet through his love, through being willing to just accept and see me where I'm at and being able to love me where I'm at, he's been able to have the compassion and the empathy to be able to do that. Cause I think sometimes people are like, well, I don't know how to be there for you because I haven't gone through that. Or, well, I don't have that attribute because I haven't gone through that the way that you have. So, you know, like it's hard, right? They'll disconnect. But I think when we really love people and we are really able to like go into that space, it doesn't matter whether you've gone through it or not. Like you have the capacity to love them through it and to show up in that way absolutely yeah beautiful thank I, you and i have one final question for you but first before that can you tell our viewers and listeners how to find you if they want uh if they want your services yeah so my website is sunshineharston.com i'm also Harston for them h-a-r-s-t-o-n and they can book an appointment with me online. I also have a Facebook group that's called Sunshine Served Daily. And that's that's where I I love on my people there. Um, I don't really use that as a way to like blast or sell anything, but that's more of a place to go get edified and strengthened and to receive nuggets or tools that you can kind of implement in your life in a very non-invasive way where you can message me on Facebook.
Okay. So and my final question is just this. Is there anything you would really like to say to our mid-single listeners, whether divorced, widowed, or not yet married? Or even blending families. Um, that, will give them, that will give them hope. I think my message is where you are in your life and as you are, however you're showing up, whether you feel like it's messy, whether you feel like you're failing, whether you feel like you're rocking it and you know life is good, you're exactly where you're supposed to be and it's perfect. And you're enough exactly as you are. And I really believe that your life, our lives are so perfectly orchestrated that we cannot screw it up. Even the mistakes that we make have been compensated for before we even came to earth that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And your life is beautiful and amazing. And even though you can't see it, maybe in the moment, there are angels that are your associates that are walking with you and guiding you that you, and and where you're at right now is not where you're always going to be. It's not always going to be like this, that you will one day be able to look back and have so much love and gratitude for your journey of where you're at currently. Great, great wisdom. And thank you, Sunshine Harston for um, being our guest today. We think our audience is going to love this and we want to tell them to remember anytime is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Please share LilyPod with those you love who could benefit from what we share here. We invite you to sign up for our Elevating Weekly Lily Letter, subscribe to LilyTube, and enjoy other life-affirming content at loveinlateryears.com. Email us to request a free 15-minute Lily Coaching Discovery Call. We are here to support you.